Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. This week, we're going to talk about estate planning mistakes. Now, I'm willing to bet that some of you have heard of some story where there was estate planning done by presumably a lawyer. We'll ignore the ones where you order a form online. We'll <laughs> and, and yet, yeah. things somehow went sideways, and and maybe it just ended up being a disaster in some form. Often after, incidentally, the the client of the law firm had died. So why is that? So why is it that estate planning sometimes goes wrong? In fact, sometimes terribly wrong. Well, we thought that we would have a guest who's very popular with you, uh, Nina Windsor, of course, of Tucker Allen, senior partner Tucker Allen. She's been with us before. Those of you who watch the show know that that you know she's a wealth of information on the whole subject of estate planning. That's all Tucker Allen does. But we want to have her on and have her talk about specifically an issue that addresses those those examples that I suspect you can think of where someone seemed to do the right thing. They went to a lawyer. They did estate planning. They, right. they paid a lawyer money. And isn't everything supposed to go well then? Well, it should. You're right. But we all know sometimes why it didn't. So we want to talk about about why that sometimes happens. We're going to do autopsies, sort of, of situations like that. Um, so, Nina, uh, there's no better place to start than what would you have to say in, in listing these things, which let me insert here. The, we're going to do a couple of shows on this. We think maybe three. Absolutely. At least three shows. Definitely worth covering. Because there, there are several mistakes, and we'll, we'll get through maybe a couple today, do you think? Absolutely. So we'll get through maybe a couple today. So the next three shows will be dedicated to this topic. And these are not esoteric things, incidentally. These are not things that are far-flung, unlikely, you know, uh, 100-year floods. These are things that occur often and yet are very preventable. So at the stage set, I hand it to you, Nina. Strong roots are essential for a healthy tree, especially your family tree. That's why you work hard to take care of your family every day. At Tucker Allen... We know that taking care of your family means planning for the future. Our team provides personalized estate planning to help you protect your family, your legacy, and your future. From wills and trusts to long-term care and estate planning. Count on Tucker Allen. Personalized estate planning made simple. As far as mistakes are concerned with estate plans... A lot of times when someone has passed away, you'll hear a family saying, oh, man, they went to a lawyer and that lawyer just messed it up. And that does happen, not at our firm, but... Of course not. You know, at at others, and and it can happen. And, And lawyers are not infallible. However, a lot of times the confusion over how could someone have possibly drafted these documents in light of what the actual situation is comes from a lack of proper communication between the client and the attorney that they've hired. Now, you hear that all about all the time in criminal defense cases. You're like, if you're going to be honest with anyone, be honest with your attorney. 
But the same is true for estate planning and probate. Um, If you are coming into your attorney's office and you have an idea of your ideal scenario, but you have things that you're holding back or things that you do without communicating with your attorney and making sure that that's the way that they should be done. Yeah, essential information. Essential information. You are undercutting your own success and the success of your estate plan with respect to your family after you have passed away. So it's basically the client withholding information for whatever reason, not being honest. I mean, what type of situations do you encounter with they, they withhold information that you need to know to create this plan. Yes. So I think that one of the most important things when someone walks in is for to like lay the groundwork with them and tell them this is that no judgment zone, right? Because they come in, they have a first impression. They're looking at us for a first impression. You know, are we professional? Do we care? Are we going to be fastidious in the way that we approach their documents. But then sometimes they pull the rug out from under us because they want to be liked. They want you to think that they're a very nice person. And they think if they talk about the situation that's really just going on in their family for whatever reason, that they may not come off the way that they want to to their attorney. So if there is estrangement involved in the family, if they don't like one of their children's spouses, that's one that we usually wait until at least halfway through the meeting because I'll I'll be like, hey, tell me about your in-laws. You know, how how do you feel about them? And then they'll immediately ask me, is this covered under attorney-client privilege? (laughs) I bet they do. That's the first time that subject comes up is at that stage. And then they'll say, um, is it covered after I'm dead? Which is, of course, the answer is also yes. I'm not going to share with your daughter-in-law how you think she handles money. And that really usually frees them up to be a little bit more honest. But if you are going through and treating this very formulaically as an attorney, so this is for attorneys and it's for for clients as well, that this applies, you really need to have that level of honesty and ask those good questions as an attorney to your clients. Yeah. And and it's often, incidentally, uh, children, uh, parents, I don't know if it's so much that they're trying to put a favorable gloss on it as it's, you know, a parent looking at their child through their eyes, their adoring eyes, and they tend to not see things. But I think also it's a factor that you mentioned where they don't want to speak ill of their children. And so they're not often as frank with their lawyer on on subjects where it's essential to know, you know, what is the capability, what are the tendencies, Mm -hmm. you know, in what ways should we protect this child or against this child? Um, For them and from themselves sometimes. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have a a file that I'm working on right now where we're setting up very different provisions for the children. One of them has kind of carte blanche after the uh, death of the second spouse. And the other one is going to have serious restrictions um, only for purposes of making sure that the wealth is preserved. Yeah. Um, And that that can be done in a myriad of ways. There are a lot of solutions. But if you waste a lot of time saying we're the Beaver Cleaver family and everything will go fine and everyone's great with money and makes unemotional decisions about health care and whatnot. Right, right. It wastes a lot of time. And it doesn't exist. Yeah. 
And and they have to know that too. They need to come to the realization that what walks into an estate planning attorney's office, it, it always has a wrinkle because every family has some sort of complicated scenario. Right. And it and it just, you know, to the extent that you're not frank with your estate planning lawyer, then you really handicap them in terms of their ability to be helpful. I would like to talk about another factor, though, that often accounts for this this uh, handicapped communication that should be taking place in this meeting, and that's the people who attend the meeting. Um, you need to you need to think a great deal about who you bring to this meeting. Uh, there's a tendency. I saw this so calmly. I'm tempted to say, twenty five percent of the time, if not more, that that parents will show up with their adult children and it's you know it's common and I understand the motivation the motivation is to include them and let them know what's going on maybe that's your intention but unless you unless it has literally no inhibition no inhibitive effect on you and I, I would argue that's very unlikely right then then you should think about excluding them. And I should also mention that it has an effect. Do you want to talk a little bit about attorney-client privilege? I don't know that that would sure. come Very. up as commonly, but... But it, it's a, you know, if you're they're asking the question, is this covered under attorney-client privilege? For example, if, you're, if one of the children is in the meeting and later on the other children say, well, this other child, the one that was in the meeting, got a larger percentage, they can uh, sue and say that the parents were under undue influence. And during the discovery process, they can ask what took place in the estate planning meeting. And if someone is there that is not our client, it means that we would have to turn over those documents um, of our notes and, and possibly attest to what took place in the meeting because it would not be covered under attorney-client privilege at yeah, that you, point. You lose what arguably is almost the most sacred thing about your relationship with your attorney when you bring in family members that are not essential to the meeting. Should there be any litigation down the road? It could happen before you die. There could be some dispute mm-hmm. if you had a stroke and, and there was a question about who is to manage your trust. And that th- this litigation could be going on while you're in an ICU because because they they would be able to testify about what and, – and the records would be discoverable. Notes, personal notes would be discoverable regarding the matter that you included somebody on. And, Nina, I want to know how often do you experience that where – a client will come in with an adult child and, and you know, is very determined that this child's going to sit in on this meeting with you. And, and what do you do? Very often it will be after one spouse may have passed away. So depending on whether or not the trust is irrevocable at the time, or even if there were no estate planning documents before the first spouse passed, and now the second spouse is like, oh my goodness, I need to get estate planning documents in order. And then you have your child coming in who may be the primary caregiver, or they just may live in town with that person. I don't make a big deal about it, but I start out by asking, what is the intent of that parent with respect to the distribution of their estate plan? If they are not going to distribute equally between all of their children and there is some sort of tinge of favoritism, which may be warranted. Again, this is a mm-hmm. no judgment zone. Sure, we do sure. not you know, t- take part in deciding what someone wants. But if we're not sure if they may be under some sort of pressure or we think that there may be a problem down the road— 
because of an unequal distribution, then we ask that child to sit in the lobby. We have many nice reading materials. Yes. And to have a a little bit of a private time with the client to talk about why they might want things that way. And then if they are determined to proceed with an unequal distribution, then we communicate with the child that is sitting outside that we're going to need them to remain outside of the room for the remainder of the meeting so that we can talk about how the rest of the estate plan is to be put together. But it's no Mm -hmm. big deal if that child is an only child because you're not going to have siblings that are going to dispute anything. So you're okay with it then, I would Think. Yes. Unless you're not going to leave your estate to that only child. <laughs> Unless, yes. Well, that so, might be, yeah. And I don't think you'd be taking that child with you to that meeting. If the child starts interrupting, it's much easier to say, look, we want to help you, but we have to be able to stand behind the work and make sure that we did what you wanted. And I want to make sure that we've done our due diligence here Uh, Also as to the point of capacity for that person, because if they can't speak for themselves and the child is speaking over them, then we might have serious doubts about whether they have capacity to sign those documents anyway. Exactly. So whenever you're you have larger estates in particular mm-hmm. it, it it's not uncommon even if there is an only child or assume there are two children it's not uncommon for half the estate to go to some yeah. form of charity it could exactly. be a church it could be um, a university so often the children are are in an interest after the their parent passes away they may challenge those gifts and if they are not essential to that meeting, those notes, that might be helpful to them if there were some reservations expressed in the meeting. Uh, I mean, it, Sometimes they don't want to bring the old documents and they say, oh, we just, here's the name of the trust. We want you to restate the trust. And oh, by the way, we're putting it out this way. So unless I've reviewed the old documents to see if there was charitable intent there, I'm not really comfortable proceeding blindly and restating a trust that could be changing significant provision. Now, now I know some people are scratching their head thinking, what is she talking about restating a trust? Oh, sorry. Okay. So um, people are very familiar with amendments because they like to, you know, if you change anything, they're like, oh, I'm amending my trust. Um, When you restate a trust, it gets you out of that mode where you are flipping back and forth on the pages of your trust with maybe multiple amendments, which, you know, if you grew up in the 80s, you know about choose your own adventure books, they flip you back and forth in the book, and it gets very complicated um, and confusing. And occasionally there's this standalone document of one page that isn't in there when it's presented to everyone. So a good way of making sure that everything is encompassed in one document is to use your original trust. The trust never goes away. But to say that you are amending it and restating it, which means you get a whole document and that is the governing document going forward, instead of having little sidebar documents that are attached, which are the amendments. Okay. Yeah, the good thing about a trust is that <clears throat> is that the law, uh, the trend in recent years has been to favor, you know, trust, you know, longevity or survival. And and so whenever there's a change that you couldn't anticipate, if the court can reinterpret you know, the current events in a way that is consistent with your intent or your desire, then they can approve changes, but changes that they only approve because the alternative is the trust would sort of dissolve because it can no longer do what you wanted it to do for whatever reason. Maybe you gave money to a charitable institution that went away. 
but maybe you're really interested in higher education for your religious group. Let's say that you're, I don't know, Calvinist, and and you like a Calvinist university, and, and that one particular one went away. Does your trust dissolve, or can the court find a way to amend it and let it go on for the purpose you intended? So there are lots of ways to do that. Hey, I want One thing I want you to talk about, though, is it, it is often that when somebody's in a meeting that they can inhibit how freely parents talk. And even though it's a little different from we, – we addressed this point just now, but I want to make it really clear that even if you put aside uh, the whole issue about confidentiality, let's assume that, that that's not relevant. And we're just concerned about getting the information. Remember that, that the item that we've listed here on our reasons that trust fail – this item we're titling uh, lack of information. So if you believe that you would speak a little less frankly if you had someone else in the room, uh, then I think that that will do your estate plan a disservice. It's really hard for, for some people to say things in front of others that they might think, and as frankly as they otherwise would. Can you comment? As far as what somebody's good at, remember we've talked about all of those different gifts that people have and and what they may be able to serve as in someone's estate plan. Your child may be very good with money, but may be just a basket case if somebody's in a hospital. So therefore, you may not want to say, oh gosh, I don't want so-and-so. They're just going to sit there weeping and won't be able to communicate with anyone and aren't a good point person for the family. And so you're not going to want that person as a healthcare power of attorney. And people's tell all sorts of dry humor jokes. We're big on dry humor and estate planning. Um, but they only Dark do humor. that when <laughs> there are a lot of them. Um, but they only do that when their children are not present. And so it actually inhibits the relationship building between the attorney and the client because they are making sure that they're filtering what they say and subsequent choices that they're making because somebody's sitting there. They also may have concerns about grandchildren. You're not going to sit there talking about your grandkids in front of their parent Yeah, for in sure. a way yeah. of the parent might think their kids are very, very responsible and could make great decisions about trust funds while they are in college in a fraternity. Um, <laughs> and, but uh, grandparents may have more wisdom on this subject. Grandparents yes, might be like those so. whippersnappers. I love them to death, but there's absolutely no way they should have and, access to money until they're at least 25. And ju- just picking up on, on a variation of that example is, I mean, if you bring your son or your daughter or your son and your daughter into the meeting, you're one of the things that 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 Nina or other attorneys at Tucker Allen will want to talk to you about is, you know, we need to make a decision about who might be in charge of your trust, and there's different roles. There, we need to also talk about health care, who can make those decisions, and then she's going to explain it to you away. If she's frank, she'll explain it to you in a way that will say the person you choose for this should be somebody who you feel has really good judgment uh, with financial matters. They don't have to be a CPA, and they also have to not have any personal problems that you think could interfere with their objectivity or even their honesty, depending on the nature of the personal problem. So this is... It's very hard. It's very unusual for a parent to be able to talk frankly 
about their children, discuss their children in that role in the presence of those children. Even though the parent, that the client may say in advance, oh, I'm, I let my kids know everything. I'll bet you do not. I'll bet you have not shared fully, frankly, your, what you know about your children, what their shortcomings are, you know, what their, their, their skills, their assets are. How much money there is. You know, oh, I'm not going to an- talk about, I'm not going to ask the same questions about how much money there is in the total of their assets in each type of account if the child is sitting right there. Good point. But um, you should be able but to. But I have to because if I don't, I may be running into either a state or a federal taxation issue. And there might be planning that we could do that be very beneficial for the family down the road. Yeah. So expect those questions about how much money do you have? What accounts will are they in? What form? What assets? How are they titled? It's unusual it, It's that somebody would speak as freely in front of their family. I've got another one, though, not to bring to the meeting. Your significant other that you are not married to. I can see where that could run. Oh, no, 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 no. I have navigated recently a very complicated issue. um, And now the client and I tease each other about whether he's going to marry his girlfriend. (laughs) But um, you have to be really careful about bringing somebody in. I mean, they thanked me for my tact after it was done, but I was like, whew, that was tiring. Because I had to be really careful about what I said. You were trying to preserve assets for the children, but you also have somebody that was with this person for you know, sometimes 20 years. I had a great uncle that was with his um, his significant other for decades um, before she passed away. And they did get married and it was very, you know, they were very careful about how they structured their documents to reflect making sure the children were taken care of. But, you know, I'm tempted to say at the risk of offending, we, we can't afford to run off viewers, can we? We don't have enough of you. But, but at the same time, you know, if you've been with somebody 20 years and you're not prepared, and let's assume it's that sort of relationship, you know, like a husband-wife relationship. If you've been with somebody 20 years and you're not prepared to marry them, then maybe you shouldn't be prepared to bring them to this meeting. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I, I mean, agree. <laughs> I agree. So, I mean, it was she was fairly lovely, and it was a lovely meeting, but there are just things where, you know, I—, I I josh with them and I say, okay, well, you know, we're, we better hurry up and get you married before you get your documents done or we're going to have to redraft all of them again. And it's it's one of those things that you really have to do a lot of brain surgery on those documents to make sure um, that things are are the way that they want them. They, you know, they want to show respect to the person who's sitting there, who's their, basically their life partner at this point, but they also want to make sure that their children are protected. So I get a lot of, I'll call you later, I'll email you later, you know, what I want to do. So we've basically set this up to have to have a meeting in two parts because you can't finish it in front of this other person and, and make sure that you're doing your job. Just a quick question. Does common law marriage apply in the state of Missouri? You know, if you've been together seven years or whatever, it does not. It's Mm -mm. going away almost everywhere. It started to go the way of the dodo, but I I mean, there are a few of them, but, uh, and and it actually matters for intestate succession or, you know, wrongful death cases. There's different things that can go into play on that. But, um, but generally people have that misconception. Also, they'll come in and say, well, everything is going to go to this person. So the opposite of of where they want it to go to their significant other who, to whom yeah. they're not married. And they thought that was going to pretty much happen already because of common law. And it, it's not a thing. Mm-hmm. And, and and it really makes sense, though. Common law is was like, well, maybe you inadvertently married somebody. 
maybe you accidentally uh-huh. married him. You just never got around to it. Whereas the better law is the one that I think where we are now, where it's a conscious decision. Because if somebody didn't marry someone, they obviously chose to not marry them. I mean, they could have done it. It could have been a civil ceremony, cost them virtually nothing in terms of the ceremony. Uh, but <laughs> not they cost you a lot. Down the, but but there was. It's almost as if somebody who chose not to marry that person had made a very important statement. But uh, knowing that if you have a good family law attorney, which we have access to, yeah, and a good estate planning attorney, you can have a team on your side that protects your children. You can have a prenuptial agreement. You can have a postnuptial agreement before you do your estate plan. And there's a lot of things that wiggle room within an estate plan even that that's sometimes a good idea, even for blended families, to really look at what people have power over on their assets and to make sure everything is spelled out very clearly. There is so much control and satisfaction in having a comprehensive set of documents. So if you want to get married, you can. But if you want that person to waive certain things, you need to have certain types of documents in but place. say they mm-hmm. don't want to get married for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Say there is some reason that they do not want to get married. And, and can you still leave that significant other something in your trust without it be, I mean, but without it being challenged by, say, children. I mean, well, you can always challenge, but, but you're without it, with, but I mean, withstanding a a challenge. Yes. It can withstand. It can. Yes. Um, You can can, give it all. You can, you can do a specific gift. It'd be better if they weren't in the meeting though. (laughs) (laughs) If they wheel you in in a wheelchair, you're probably going to have a problem when the kids challenge that. Either that that. or you're not going to have a ride home. No. So I think it's better at that point uh, to make sure you're making your own decisions and it's very, very clear. But you can leave a specific gift. You can leave a residency trust within your trust so that person doesn't get kicked out of your home that you have together. Yeah, there are lots of solutions. All sorts of things that you can do. So before we leave, though, this item number one on our list, um, let's concede the fact that there are circumstances where people are not as clear-headed, where... um, Maybe they've heard everything we've said, and they say, look, believe it or not, I have this person that I have this relationship with, maybe your child, family member, and I want, I want to include this person. And, of course, it could be necessity. Mm-hmm. So let, we should at least concede that, that despite everything you and I have said, there may be some occasions where people will say, I hear you. I want them here. And, it, and that might also have to do with their trust of the attorney. I mean, this is, again, why you, you want to make sure that you're building that relationship. They may want to come back. They may want to hear everything that you have to say, talk it over, and they may want to come back and say, I've thought about this some more. And in my mind, this is you know how I'd like to proceed. They may be more comfortable coming back and meeting with me on their own the after, they've, time. after they've vetted me to make sure I'm not taking advantage. Very good point. So that's an also a solution. Those of you who are thinking, I can't imagine doing this without my children or someone else. You said that very well. Is I was thinking that you can break the meeting into parts. Where uh, if you come to when you come to that point, if you decide to proceed with this attorney, let's assume you're just meeting this attorney, but uh, let's assume the meeting goes well, you feel comfortable. It, you could break it into a couple of pieces where one person goes out and they, they sit in this lobby for a while and, and maybe some of these questions are asked. But, but what you suggest I think happens a lot where people will bring some family members to let the family members meet the lawyer 
and kind of get a feel for the lawyer and maybe talk in some general terms. Probably in, in this situation, we wouldn't get into, into details. And then your intention might be to come back later a second time in which you would talk about those details. Because the children might be stuck with us for purposes of after somebody passes away for trust administration, they want somebody who's going to be with them before they pass away, during their lifetime of the trust administration, and, and after they've passed away. And so with that, they really want a comprehensive approach, a team that is not going to be a burden and is going to be a good support system for their children if they need help during the trust administration Right, because this could be a very long-term relationship depending on the size of the trust. That's a great point. I mean, it really is. Uh, You want a lawyer who's going to be there for a couple of generations, for the balance of your generation, and assuming you have a trust, and if you go to Tucker Allen, I can tell you they're going to recommend that you have a trust to save you probate and all that, then you want a lawyer that's going to be around for that next generation. So why not do an introduction? And you, and that doesn't mean nobody younger than me can come in for an estate plan because I'm not planning on living forever. But it is a reason why you probably shouldn't go to a firm that just has one person and their firm's going to wrap up afterwards. Because yeah. Tucker Allen is planning on being here, and many, you know. Established firms will be there after that person passes away and through that next generation. Well, what does mm-hmm. happen if the law firm, for some reason, dissolves? I mean, what happens to that person's trust? We should probably have a, an entire show we about could do a that. Show on That's that. a good. Um, but but the quick answer is there are procedures that are supposed to take place, and most of the time they do, but they don't always. If the person doesn't have a succession plan on, as to where those those files are going to go and things like that, so if you have a firm. It's very easy to have someone else pick up that file and carry it forward. So you don't want to go to someone that's a one-man band. Yeah, you can. There are many attorneys who are good attorneys, but they are in. They they have a handicap, and that is they don't have somebody that's on staff that they're you know absolutely planning on handing their practice to. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's all too common in in this field is. Unlike some areas of the law where you have large firms and those firms have been around for 100 years and you're confident they'll continue to be around, maybe not the same lawyer, but the same department at that law firm. But the nature of, of, of this area of practice is often it's a single lawyer who is very, maybe very smart, maybe very good. I know certainly Nerds. examples. I know we know examples of that. Yeah. And yet... You know, it's them and a few legal assistants, and maybe they'll have an associate working under them, but they're going to retire, and the probability is that they may sell that practice, but I'll tell you it's more common that it's not sold, so they just really kind of shut the lights off and go home. So if something happens a year later, five years later, you know, maybe you got a file in the mail, uh, that's that's typically what's done. I mean, it it. You have to you make sure your clients You're get notified. a copy. notified. Or, or a notice to go pick up your file. So if you don't pick it up, that can also be a problem. Kind of like when photographers go out and they're like, here's your, yeah. here's your uh, photos that were left over. And so if you don't do that, what happens then? Or if you're at a different address and you haven't been keeping tabs with your clients, you know, yeah. what happens and, then? And in, mo- in most states, after five years, they can destroy those files and do because they don't want them floating around. They're protecting their clients really by not letting them float around Personal for the next 20 right. years. So. You know, that's in, in this field, that's a problem because 
the scope of our planning is typically beyond five years, and it's typically beyond five years even after your death. Anyway, just a word of caution on that point. Before we leave this, anything else on the issue of this particular topic? I've had a couple of consults in the last year where someone did not tell me that they were either terminally ill or seriously ill until the very end of the conversation. So I was doing some long-term planning for them, and we pivoted quickly. So it's all—it's a reason to come into a consultation if you know that you're sick, but you have to tell your attorney because there are some things that we don't worry about, like is this charity still going to be around? But there are other things that we can talk in very frank terms. And we also are willing to expedite your documents if you have any issues, and particularly if you don't have healthcare powers of attorney in place, things of that nature. We meet people at some of the most serious points in their lives, and yeah. this is definitely one of them. So I know that it's difficult to sit down with someone that you've just met and tell them that you are emotionally planning for something that may be imminent, but it is a great disservice if you walk out of that appointment and don't tell your attorney. I find that really, really unusual because I would think if I had some terminal illness, I'd want to get in there, cut to the chase and say, look, we got to get this thing done. I don't know how much time I have. I want to make sure my affairs are in order. That is really but, but unusual think, to me, though. I think some of that, though, is denial. I think that— uh, Yeah, but— it, it's Sometimes people want to think, look, if I start planning for my death, if I have that mentality that I'm going to go to my, my state planning lawyer and prepare my funeral, then, I'm, then I'm, I am going to— Yeah. So if I'm not, you're stage two, you may be having your friends pumping you up and saying, you're going to beat this, everything's fine. But in my office, you need to encounter whether you may or may not beat this. And also, it gives us the opportunity to be really caring, um, which our team is. And many lawyers out there, despite you know evidence to the contrary for some, really are are embracing the human aspect of everything that they do. And so if you have family members who may need, who may, you know, at that point, if you want to bring them to a follow-up meeting and say, this is who you're going to call when something happens to me, um, if you need advice, you know, and, and really make those introductions ahead of time, we make the time. And that's one of the reasons you know, flat rate is really better. You may need a little bit of extra hand-holding, a little bit of extra time, and that's okay because you're not going to get charged extra for it. I'm not going to um, charge you extra for your estate plan just because we're really getting in there and, and looking at details that may be happening yeah. soon. That's an important point is there's not a meter running with Tucker Allen, and mainly, actually, in fairness, with many estate planning firms, um, it's it's common to charge a flat fee. Now, some do bill hourly if they think it's going to be complicated, and I understand their reasoning, but we stick to almost without exception uh, mm -hmm. to to the uh, flat fee so you know. And published. Yeah, published fee. So you know kind of what you're looking at. But it, it, you made an interesting point, um, and it is true. People who are drawn into estate planning, and I would say – I want to distinguish a little bit and say elder law. Now, elder law and estate planning, the borderlines are very hazy and, you know, they, they kind of run together. But yet, I've been to meetings with both. And I've been with a room full of uh, high-end estate planners. And I've been in a room full of el people who call themselves elder lawyers. 
Now, both groups prepare a lot of wills, or I should say trusts, probably, if they're good. Anyway, but I can tell you there's a difference. There's a nurturing. The, the people who emphasize, and this is what I see with Tucker Allen, is these people, if they could not be lawyers, they would be in some sort of field like sociology or healthcare. They There's a nurturing component to their personality. And on higher end, quote unquote, estate planning, very tax driven, very um, t- financial strategy driven. These people, if you had told them they couldn't go to law school, they would have been CPAs. Uh, and it's it doesn't mean they're not caring, um, but it means it's just a different personality type. And I do notice with Tucker Allen that that there is you know a perspective about care with the client that you don't always see in estate planning. I'd agree with you, but I'd also add to it that if you don't go to an attorney who also does probate and trust administration, then you're with somebody who's too squeamish and doesn't have the bedside manner to take a call notifying them that someone has passed away and to really know how to come alongside that family and to guide them through an extremely awful process. Right. Um, so Explain that because people are saying, what does she mean? So whether you have a trust or whether you're a client who's not previously been a client of Tucker Allen and and you don't have a trust or an estate plan set up or or funding and beneficiary designations, you may call us because we actually handle a lot of probate and a lot of trust administration. Even where we didn't do, weren't, weren't asked to do an estate plan. In Correct. Advance. You can come to us regardless. And we have to sit down with, you know, a people who who may be in shock, so there might not be a lot of tears, but they're just in the mode of, okay, my adrenaline's pumping, and I, I don't know what to do, but I've got the energy right now to try to be businesslike about this and figure out where do I even start? How do I figure out what accounts there were? How do I deal with this bank that was was mean to me when I came in and told me I needed these documents in order for them to even speak with me. And so we oftentimes have to calm people down and figure out where is that end point of the string? Where can we help them develop some control over the situation again that is just awful. It's just really emotional. And and for anyone who's lost a parent, which I have, it is devastating to the entire family. And to have somebody that you can pick up the phone and call and really can direct all of the the legal and financial issues that you're having. Either they deal with it directly, which we do all the time, Mm -hmm. or we will, if a client doesn't have a professional in a financial area, for example, we can we Correct. can find some Yeah, because most people don't know how to navigate through that. And their accountant is is necessary oftentimes. We can dovetail our work with an accountant, but an accountant is going to f- most of the time just kind of freeze when it comes to just the really practical aspects of what take place after somebody passes yeah. away. It's not fun, but it's extremely rewarding. It's draining. Yeah. You know, but it's extremely rewarding. And the ideal estate planner slash elder lawyer is really somewhere that's in the border between those two extremes. You know, the 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 pure tax analyst uh, without the bedside manner is one extreme you don't want. The other extreme is somebody who's just all about nurturing, but they're not real analytical. So you want that point in the middle where you have... You know, somebody who's very sharp, very knowledgeable, but very empathetic, strong interpersonal skills. And Tucker Allen has managed to put together a team that 
that, that, that's a tough combination to find. It's important to us. I mean, if not, you're alienating people at their most vulnerable right. points, both during the planning process yeah. and after at, with the family after someone has passed away. So the next item on our list is one that deserves a lot of attention, but is a very simple concept, and that is funding. Now, even that term is a little bit confusing because a lot of people think you're you're transferring all of your assets into your trust as soon as it's signed. And you're not necessarily doing that. A lot of times you're just filling out beneficiary designations that trigger the item to go into your trust upon your passing or, or if it's an individually held mm-hmm. um, asset, you know, upon the passing of each spouse. The issue is that if you're putting together a brand new estate plan, you can't fill out those forms because you don't know the date of your trust until after it's complete and you've come into the office and signed it. And so at that signing meeting, we have a funding uh, exercise that we talk about what are the different types of assets and how do you make sure that they are pointed towards your trust. Because we've used this analogy before that the trust is a beautiful basket with nothing in it until you point things towards it. I love that. And, um, and, and, and you've already paid a, a significant amount of money for this basket. A, a reasonable amount of money reasonable for the amount. basket. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you would argue it's a bargain, which yes, it is. absolutely. But still. And it is a very specific basket that as soon as things are in it, it it can direct where they go. Um, it's a very smart basket, but if it doesn't have anything in it because you haven't filled out forms, such as a transfer on death on your car, um, a payable on death on your bank account, um, a beneficiary designation on your retirement plan or your brokerage account, and there are different ideas about what order those things should go in and whether they should ever go directly to a spouse first and then to your trust. And we go over over all of that with you, but if you don't have your attorney fill out those forms, which that's not usually necessary unless you are just the worst paperwork person ever, it's not that complicated, but it does need to happen. And once you get everything that you currently own in place pointing towards your trust, then as you go through life after that, because I tell my clients, you know, after you tell me your net worth, I hope that you spend a lot of it after you leave this office because we are preparing them to go through the rest of their life. And during that time, they may open up new accounts, they may buy new cars, they may buy new houses. And so as you go through, you need to look at that and you usually get a form upon opening those new accounts for beneficiary designations. You've got a nice little laminated card that tells you the name of your trust and you put the name of the trust on there with the date that you signed your documents and you're good to go. You put that in that nice little Mm -hmm. basket. And just to clarify this a little more is whenever you use the phrase, which I like, is, is pointing toward your trust, sometimes people think, well, gee, if you're telling me I need to put these things in my trust, meaning change the title on an account to the name of the trust and having it be inside the trust, then why would you say point it toward the trust? And the fact is that there will be some assets, of course, that you'll put directly into your trust, and it'll make sense to do that. Not a lot of work. You know, we, we help our clients through that, so it's, 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 it's called funding. So when you hear that phrase, funding a trust, all it's referring to is putting the stuff in it 
that that you want to be in it because the things that are in is what it can control. So we, this beautiful basket cannot do its its magic without having control of the asset. And so for the trustee to have control and be able to take care of you and then be able to take care of your children or grandchildren, it, there has to be authority in the trust, which means the trust has to have it. But there will be some assets that that we will simply name the trust as the beneficiary rather than stick them in right now. And so we'd wait until you pass. Still doesn't go through probate. So don't, don't, don't think, oh, gee, now we're dealing with probate. No, it, it's instantaneous. The moment you pass away, literally, in that nanosecond, legally, suddenly it goes directly to the trust, and the trust is in control. So it's magical that way, uh, but, but we still need to change the name on the, the title card. Uh, that exists for that particular asset, whether it's a car, whether it's bank account, securities accounts, you know, anything where there's a document of title. But it, that's simple. It's just that if you fail to do it, you've bought this beautiful basket or this beautiful. And all it owns is your personal items, which is a great thing to not have to inventory all your forks and things like that. <laughs> but it owns, you know, the trust owns all of your personal property in your home because we have a document we can have the client sign that then does that. There, but yeah. when they leave, they're, you know, they've got a basket that's holding their book collections and their furniture. But all of these major assets that they've spent so much time working for may not be controlled by the trust if they don't fill out the forms. Yeah. So this is, we're listing this as number, I guess it's number two in the list mm-hmm. because it's huge. I can't tell you, if you were to do a survey across America of things that went wrong in where there was, we'll call it good estate planning, then I think maybe number one, arguably the thing we just discussed would be certainly up there, but even higher on the list than that might be where people had, let's assume, a good estate planning lawyer who prepared a good trust and and who told them even, let's assume, that you know you do need to put assets in here, and off they go, and you know the two are never to meet again, perhaps, and they pass away ten years later, and. There's a trust, a wonderful trust, but it has no authority over assets that were not directed to it or put in it. And I would think that, I would argue that's the number one reason across America for good estate planning. It absolutely is. But you know what? It actually plays into being honest with your attorney, too, because your attorney may ask you, how's your funding going? And um, did you go to the DMV and put a TOD on the titles of your cars? And I think I... I think people lie about that as much as they lie about flossing to their dentist because <laughs> nobody a- really <laughs> likes going to the DMV. So if we're being practical, you may not go right after you meet and sign your documents, but the next time you get your tags done, you need to bring your little laminated card with your trust name on it and get that TOD at it. Yeah, and yeah. TOD explains. Transfer Transfer on on death. death. So even if both of you, of you and your spouse, are on the title for your car, it doesn't cost anything to add a transfer on death at the bottom to your trust. Then whenever something happens, your trust will have authority over that asset and all the wonderful things that you took the time to prepare and pay for. um, It will, will be able to do what they're supposed to do. And not hang out in probate. Yeah, yeah. Probate is expensive and time-consuming. That's another show. But So we will pick up with this list. Uh, I think there is a total of six items that made this list. 
or were there seven? There were seven items that made this list, and we'll continue through this list. If we get it through it in two shows, great, but we expect it's going to be three. And I assure you, you will learn a lot through these sorts of discussions. We'll, we'll equip you to be the best possible client. Absolutely. Uh, Nina, thank you. We look forward to having you on again for two more shows on this topic. Thank you, Mr. Uh, Cordell. This has been another episode of Life's Third Act. Till next time, take care. You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week, we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.